Hey, math fans, Jason Marshall, Math Dude, here with your weekly dose of quick and dirty tips to make math easier. We live in a universe filled with numbers and equations. The locations, trajectories, and pretty much every other property of flying balls, flying airplanes, and perhaps someday even flying cars, as well as just about everything else in the world, can all be described by a bunch of numbers. But while we may understand intellectually that these numbers are real, in the sense that they describe real properties of real things, we can't actually see them or touch them. In other words, the numbers that make the world go around are simultaneously real, but also completely abstract little monkeys. So are numbers actually real, or are they imaginary? While we're contemplating the reality of real-world numbers, what about the numbers that are actually known as imaginary numbers? What are they? Where do they come from? Are they truly imaginary? And how is all of this related to the nature of the numbers that we encounter every day? Stay tuned, because those are exactly the questions we'll be tackling today and over the next few weeks. To help us uncover the what and why of imaginary numbers, and to eventually help us understand the nature of all numbers, we need to go back and think about the advent of what at the time was a radical new type of number, negative numbers. In particular, we need to jump into a time machine, the one we built last weekend, and head back to the era before people had even stumbled upon the idea of negative numbers. Way back in those days, people knew all about the numbers that we now call the positive integers, and perhaps also zero. Those are the friendly counting numbers that you learned to rattle off long ago. One, two, three, four, five, and on and on. Let's imagine you and I are eavesdropping in on a conversation at a market we're visiting during our time-traveling trip. We're watching a person paying for a bag of apples that cost three whatevers with a coin that's worth five whatevers. To show the buyer how many whatevers he should receive as change, we see the merchant writing the subtraction problem 5 minus 3 is equal to 2 on a chalkboard. A few minutes later, another person comes up to the vendor to buy a bag of apples. When he reaches into his pocket to pull out the required three whatevers, he's disappointed to find that he only has two whatevers. At that point, he figures he's not going to get any apples today. After all, the change he would be owed for this transaction is equal to 2 minus 3, as the vendor shows him on her chalkboard. And this is a crazy, meaningless subtraction problem that has no solution. Or at least so he thinks. Because surprisingly, the vendor proceeds to take his two whatevers and hands him a bag of apples. She then writes 2 minus 3 is equal to negative 1 on the chalkboard, and explains that this so-called negative number means that he owes her one whatever. And thus, negative numbers were born, or invented, or discovered, or whatever you want to call it, to deal with this new kind of problem. The point is that this type of subtraction problem was previously believed to be ludicrous, because no known number could solve it. Of course, we now think that the idea that it couldn't be solved is ludicrous, because negative numbers are common in our lives. Over the centuries since this groundbreaking and completely made-up purchase that we just witnessed occurred, people continued to run into problems that required new types of numbers. Some problems, such as finding the value of x in the equation 5 times x is equal to 3, required the discovery or invention of fractions to solve. 
And some problems, such as finding the numerical value of the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter, which is equal to pi, required the discovery or invention of irrational numbers. And then, at some point, probably on several occasions over the last thousand years, somebody got fed up with not being able to solve another kind of problem using the types of numbers that people had come up with to that point. In particular, people had realized that while it was easy to solve an equation like x squared minus 1 is equal to 0, it was impossible to solve the almost identical equation x squared plus 1 is equal to 0. Why is that? Because the first equation is equivalent to x squared is equal to 1. And it has solutions because we can square either x is equal to 1 or x is equal to negative 1 and get 1. But the second equation is equivalent to x squared is equal to negative 1. And the thing is, there is no normal everyday number amongst the set of numbers technically known as real numbers that will give you a negative number when multiplied by itself. So there's no solution to this equation, right? Well, the question is, does that mean that it's absolutely impossible that some number could exist that when multiplied by itself will result in a negative number? Or in the exact same way that people hadn't yet latched on to the idea of negative numbers in our time-traveling story, could equations like x squared plus 1 is equal to 0 be solved by some previously unidentified type of number? People realized that if you simply invent a new kind of number with the property that when you square it, you get a negative number as a result, then you could solve this and a whole bunch of previously unsolvable equations. These kinds of numbers that solve these equations are now known as imaginary numbers. The most important imaginary number to know about is the imaginary unit, represented by the lowercase letter i. It has the property that i squared is equal to negative 1. Every other imaginary number can be written as the product of some real number, that's one of the normal everyday numbers you're used to, times this imaginary unit. So i, negative i, 3i, negative 77.5i, and so on are all examples of imaginary numbers. So that's what imaginary numbers are, and it's where they come from. But why are they useful? After all, it's pretty clear why negative numbers are useful. But it's not so obvious that imaginary numbers have any impact on reality. Are they just a mathematical trick? Or are there actually some real-world uses for them? And while we're throwing out questions, you might be wondering what all of this tells us about the question we posed earlier about the nature of all numbers. Namely, are any numbers really real? Or are they all just figments of our imagination? I'm going to let you ponder these questions on your own for a while, and we'll pick them up again next week as we continue our journey into the world of imaginary numbers. Okay, that's all the math we have time for today. For more fun with math, please check out my book, The Math Dude's Quick and Dirty Guide to Algebra. Also, remember to become a fan of The Math Dude on Facebook at facebook.com slash themathdude and on Twitter at twitter.com slash Jason Marshall. Until next time, this is Jason Marshall with the Math Dude's quick and dirty tips to make math easier. Thanks for listening, math fans. Math fans.